Welcome to the Benefits Executive Roundtable, hosted by Dorothy Koshu, President of Advanced Benefit Consulting. Dorothy is a nationally recognized benefits and compliance consultant and group health broker. Here, you'll listen to industry experts break down the latest news and trends in employee benefits, healthcare reform, regulations and compliance, all designed to empower executive decisions. Hello, everyone. This is Dorothy Koshu, host of the Benefits Executive Roundtable. Please be advised that this podcast was recorded remotely online due to COVID-19. Please forgive any internet interruptions or other sound variances during this podcast. Thank you very much. Hello, everyone. I'm Dorothy Koshu, host of the Benefits Executive Roundtable, and I'm continuing my special podcast series on a serious non-benefit topic. Today's topic is how COVID-19 has impacted kids with emotional issues, particularly autism and related conditions. I have with me today Ruth Tello DeLiva. She's the founder and president of Familias First, an ADA therapy services organization in Los Angeles County. Ruth is also the executive director for their sister company, CBC Education. Thank you, Ruth, for joining me today. I really appreciate you being here. Well, I'm very honored to be here. Thank you for thinking of me for this podcast. Oh, this is my pleasure. I'm really looking forward to this. Before we begin, let's start with some basics. Can you tell everyone what the acronym ABA stands for and why this is important for kids with autism? Absolutely. That's a great question. Um, ABA stands for Applied Behavior Analysis. And basically what this approach or this treatment uh, modality does is it it focuses on evidence-based scientific uh, analysis of an individual's behavior. And it's so important because when the diagnosis of autism came out, you know, decades ago, there really was not an understanding. And there's a lot of um, made up treatments and solutions that were tried quite, quite frankly, haphazardly. So by it being evidence-based, you're looking at like operationalizing or defining the behavior concretely, clearly, not using subjective terms, and also looking at factors such as antecedents and consequences that are related to the behavior um, you're targeting for change. And the most important thing is that by looking at these um, variables, you're able to determine the function or the why, the why. Why is this behavior occurring? What's the purpose that it's, it's meeting for the child or adult, the individual? And therefore, interventions are selected that match that function, that why, and um, they really lead to success versus, you know, what I think might be at play or what I think the individual might be trying to get by that behavior. So, um, you know, in a nutshell, that's what ABA is. Right. Well, I know a little bit about it. We'll talk more about that in a moment. But again, I want to make sure that our listeners are familiar. And so that our listeners get a clear understanding of your background and your expertise, can you tell us a little bit about, you know, your companies and the work that you do with with children and others, particularly those with autism? Yes. Um, So there's two companies, um, Familias First. I am the founder. Um, I, you know, created this company um, in 2002. And CBC Education um, was a company created by a colleague who is no longer in the field. Um, she, you know, she has two children with disabilities herself, and she decided to dedicate her life, you know, to her children. And I bought out CBC Education from her. Um, the difference between both companies, in a nutshell, Familias First mostly focuses on addressing. Um, behavior problems or, you know, just behavioral concerns that families are having about their children or adult family member. It focuses also on the skills that need to be developed um, to address those behavior problems. So typically we find that when there's a placement skill, the problem behavior goes down. So in a nutshell, that's um, Familias First. CBC Education focuses more on social skills and play skills um, training. Both companies have a very heavy parent education component because as we tell our families, they are the professional. So as we tell our families, they are the most important um, teachers in their family, child or adult family members' lives. So we really focus on teaching the parent 
how to really teach these skills and maintain them outside of our sessions. Um, I have been in the field for about 25 years now. I started um, in mid nineties and quite frankly, I came upon this profession by accident. Um, I was a recent graduate with a bachelor's degree in psychology and most individuals during my time went into customer service. So I'm dating myself a little bit, but most <laughs> individuals that I knew um, would go into Robinson's May <laughs> um, and you know, just be a customer care um, person in, in the company. And I decided I was going to attend this career fair um, that Cal State LA had. And I really started to inquire and um, I definitely could see that there's an interest in me because I'm bilingual. Um, actually, my first language is Spanish. So I really stumbled upon this field. I got, back then you got a really basic training and you were given an assignment. Um, and I went into the home. Let me just say that I learned a lot. I, <laughs> I can imagine. Was told what a child with autism looked like, but I didn't know. So I had a really rude awakening, um, but I really fell in love, you know, with the field. And yeah, so we, we provide, by the way, you know, and I have provided and the company provides services, not only, you know, through the regional centers, school districts, private clients, and we do work in the home community set and center based environments. Yes. Well, for full disclosure, Ruth's companies are clients of mine at our company, Advanced Benefit Consulting. We're not only your health benefits brokers, but also, of course, your HIPAA privacy and security consultants and trainers. And because of this, uh, I am very familiar with what you do and how your organization works. And that's why I was so excited about getting you on my podcast, because I have a, you know, a pretty good understanding of what you guys do. And, and um, as you know, I've, I've had some, several clients in the ABA uh, areas. Let's talk a little bit about the kids and their routines. I know that routines are really important to the types of kids that you work with. Walk us back to last spring when Safer at Home orders were issued and kids were sent home from school. Can you tell us the kinds of emotional toll this had on the children that you serve and how did they react to it? Oh my goodness. I think none of us were quite ready for that or, or in, in our wildest dreams could have predicted what was coming. Um, you know, the children, and, and by the way, I will say children throughout this podcast, but we do serve adults. We've actually served clients up until like 55 years of age, but most of our clients are school school age children, um, anywhere from like three to, I'm going to say 15 would be, it's the bulk of our referrals. Mm -hmm. um, so, but it was definitely devastating. You know, a lot of our clients um, really thrive in, in structure and routine and predictability. And of course, all of that was gone. You know, there is a lot of um, nervousness, not, not only in the client, but really the parents really too. Um, so it was a time where we really had to be creative. There's, there's a spike in problem behaviors. You know, we kept in contact with our families with the parents of, of the clients we serve spike in problem behaviors was one major area. Um, skill deficit loss was another definite regression. And that was very alarming to most parents we talked to, you know, they were alarmed to see their client doing things that they had either grown out of or were not using skills that they had mastered or were near mastering. Yeah. Um, I bet that would have been devastating for them. Uh, you know, they've made yes. so much progress. It's like take three steps forward and, 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 you know, five steps back kind of thing. Yeah. Yes. You know, I could see um, how that would be an issue. Yeah. Yes. And the one thing I should notice, um, I should mention actually, um, Dorothy, is that because our expertise of working with parents throughout all these years and diverse parents, um, what we knew is that we needed to not focus just on the child. As a matter of fact, our initial sessions were to really give the parents an ability to vent and express their concerns and their fears and just really check in, you know, with them to make sure that mentally they were holding up because, you know, as we would tell our parents, if you're okay, your child in the long run is going to be okay. So it starts off with you and making sure that you're taking care of your own basic 
mental health and even physical needs um, so that we can get through this. So that's where a lot of our initial um, services focus really on, on the parents. And they, and rightly so. <laughs> I would imagine that obviously if those kids are living with those parents, it's, it's a, uh, you know, that, that environment is, is really obviously very key. So I can see why you would do that. Were you still able to work with these kids given that the schools were closed? And if so, how did that change how you helped them? Yes, we were. Um, initially when the schools were closed, of course, there's no face-to-face um, in-person services. So that was off. And as a matter of fact, everything was pretty much off the table for the first, I'm going to say three months or so. Um, then when we started to see our clients again, we did web-based um, online platforms. Mm-hmm. And eventually as, as the regulations and, you know, systems and protection was in place, we did start seeing some clients um, in our center-based programs, but it took a lot of planning. It it really took being in collaboration with the stakeholders, such as our funding sources and the parents, addressing fears and the usage of PPEs, Mm -hmm. um, and and teaching that not only the child, but teaching the parent how to teach the child or make the child or help the child be comfortable with what's the new reality. So right, right. it was this gradual process. And also you were, and I just want to make mention again, that you were in Los Angeles County, which basically is the most locked down County that we had here in California uh, for the yes. longest period of time. And, and it was just, you know, for the longest time you couldn't do anything. I mean, I live in Orange County and, and work out of Orange County and, you know, we're just not that many miles South of you, but um, you know, what a different world going from one County to the next. So, you know, that's, mm-hmm. that's pretty drastic. And uh you know, I can just imagine, I mean, when you you can't go anywhere or do anything for as long as you did in Los Angeles County, like you said, three months plus, uh, that's, that's, that's pretty heavy for, for kids going through the, what they're going through and, and just the challenges that they deal with on a daily basis, you know, and the, and the parents, you know, when they're, uh, when the kids are growing up, I can just imagine how, tr- uh, how difficult that was for them. And also for you and think about it, you had to change everything over to, as you said, remote online learning and so forth, and had to learn about things like Zoom meetings. And I don't know about you, but I wasn't really all that, you know, equipped to handle that stuff at the beginning. I mean, yes, I've done go-to meetings and webinars and stuff my entire career, but it's different when everything has to be done on a Zoom meeting. So I can just imagine the learning curve there, what probably wasn't uh, the easiest thing, especially when you're dealing with parents in in these situations as well. Yeah. And if I could add something, because I think that's a wonderful point and acknowledgement. Um, If I could throw an additional curveball there and, and just because we serve families that are very diverse, a lot of uh, monolingual Spanish-speaking families, or for CBC, we also work with the Asian community very closely. So with some of our clients, it really took having a phone conversation or several phone conversations before we could even attempt a web-based platform, literally or really figuratively holding their hand on which button to press, Mm -hmm. what to do, and reassuring them because there is like an intimidation factor that they might come across not smart or not capable. So yes, it was, it was daunting, but we did it successfully, I believe. And I'm happy to report that a lot of families felt that we did too. So that's great. That's great. So how did this impact your field staff? You know, those that are in the trenches that go out to the schools and the homes and work with the kids, what extra challenges did they face? It, it, of course, it impacted them drastically. I can tell you that in my entire professional career, this was the most difficult decision um, that I had to make, which is to furlough staff. We've never had to do that. We've actually always had, you know, abundant work and clients. We've been very blessed that way. Um, But it was very difficult because I really thought each and every one of them, their families, their livelihood, it was something that I did not take lightly. So we did end up furloughing about 80% of our staff. Um, It was very difficult. They lost hours. Of course, it impacted their livelihood and families. But one of the things that I've learned through the years is that having a personal connection and a trust um, and trust goes a long way. And I definitely called each and every one of them, reassuring them why the decision was made and that as soon and, and as you know, it was safe to do so that they would be called back. 
Um, so that was very difficult. And once we started to provide services online, we had to look at, did the employee feel they had a home environment or a room or an area where, you know, the noise level might be not as high and do they have the technology due to like HIPAA? So we had to look at things, you know, commissioning um, laptops to make sure that they were HIPAA compliant and that anything that was saved, you know, in terms of the client's documents or materials that would go to our VPN, for example. And um, a lot of our staff also have children. So they had to think of their own children in school while they're, they're working and trying to meet the optimal conditions yeah. to serve a child. So it, it was definitely, but I, I also want to say, Dorothy, that, you know, it was an opportunity. It was an opportunity for us to provide a lot more training in, in, serv in, in services than we would normally do. There's no issues to contend with the venue and schedules. It was in a way easier to have everybody um, meet. And so there's a lot of positives. You know, we definitely spend a lot of time planning and meeting and, and taking input. That would have been more difficult had we been, you know, before COVID trying to make sure everybody can meet and, and get to trainings on time and all that good stuff. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, you and I are actually doing this podcast uh, remotely. <laughs> it's like what we've spent our lives doing for the last, uh, what, nine months now or something like that. Uh, we're here in uh, early December and uh, you guys that are listening to this will be listening to this in January, but um, we're trying to get this uh, wrapped up before the holidays uh, to record this, to be ready to, uh, to uh, send it out uh, next month. But, um, you know, it's, it's, it's all these things. I mean, we're doing this remotely just like you are doing it remotely. And, and you know, you can, little things come up like Internet, you know, connections and, and uh, your Internet goes down in your house. Your Internet goes down. You're expecting, you know, your clients are expecting a meeting um, online and, and something happens or, or their technology isn't working or someone's computer crashes or their tablet mm -hmm. isn't working. Or I can just imagine how, you know, on top of all the additional stresses, the regular stresses that they have just dealing with this, the, these situations, now you throw on top of that all this technology and all this different way you do things. Yeah, again, that's just got to be, you know, had to have been amazingly difficult for you guys. And I, I commend you for, you know, uh, finding your way through it and finding a way to reach out and really help your, your clients. I think that's great. How did the Safer at Home, with little or no social interaction, work with the kids? Um, how did it affect their therapy? Um, obviously, you've been able to have some telehealth-like assistance for these kids. Um, so, so tell us a little bit more. You mentioned it before, but tell us a little bit more about that. So it, it definitely affected, you know, the, the children, the clients we serve and their families. And I think, you know, I know that I know that you know this, but I think it's important to underscore this for the listeners that the children with disabilities, with autism, have the same feelings and experiences that we do. Right. So they were nervous. Yeah. Um, they were withdrawn. They were scared. And even if we're talking about a child um, impacted by autism that might be lower functioning, I think they are definitely picking up on the vibes at home. You know, if, if the parents are, for example, some parents may be at that point food insecure, right. or there might be other issues coming up. So all of that impact was on top of the fact that they were not in the classroom maybe with their favorite teacher or, or their, their classmates, their friends, and not understanding what hit them. At least we were shocked. We are still shocked, some of us, mm -hmm. but we, we know what's happened. We understand it, at least, you know, in our heads we do. Um, but some of our kids, just all of a sudden, they're at home and they're not going anywhere. And, and it's, it was really difficult for them. So the main difference is that our clients cannot express what they're feeling in the way that neurotypical peers do. And yeah. that's, that's difficult. Yeah. And I, just the isolation in itself, I would imagine would be very difficult for them. I mean, they're used to having people helping them and guiding them and, and very caring staff, uh, people like yourself and your, and your staff that works for you uh, and their teachers, as you said, doing everything. I mean, literally handholding. Um, sometimes mm -hmm. it's, I know things have changed from the old days when you and I were growing up and this sort of thing where teachers would love to just give us a big hug when we were, uh, when we did a great job on something. We can't do that as much today, but, uh, but they're used to that 
personal connection. Um, even though you're seeing them across a computer screen, it's not the same as being able to have them, you know, be with you. And, and I, I can just imagine that they were scared, um, you know, scared and, and, and confused and, and just not knowing if this is ever going to end. Is tomorrow going to be better? And it's one thing if it goes on for two months. It's something else when it goes on for six months and now nine months and, and moving yes. forward, coming up close to a year. It's, 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 that's just has to be incredibly difficult. Yes, absolutely. It is. It is for everybody, including the teachers. Um, as you know, Dorothy, my husband's a principal and he works with the teachers in his school and it, it's been very devastating. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I can just imagine. I can't, I, like I said, it's just what you guys have had to go through. I mean, we've all had difficult times, but again, that's why I wanted to have these podcasts because I interviewed a teacher uh, just the other day and uh, I'm also going to be interviewing uh, a nurse who's also a person who's been a patient in a hospital during this time. Uh, so I wanted to focus on, because I've been dealing with all of the technical parts of COVID, you know, the how it affects your benefit plans and, and all these types of things and what the law means and what kind of provisions you have to, what do you have to do to, you know, for, for leaves for your employees and all that. But the more we got into this, I thought we really need to talk about the real issues that are happening here with, with COVID and not just, you know, the human, the human issues of this and not just, and not just the, you know, textbook and this is what the law says and this is what you have to, the benefit benefits that you have to offer. So anyway, I'm, I'm glad we're able to do this. Uh, so I know that an important part of your therapy is group therapy. Uh, can you tell us how this has been affected due to COVID and, and how is therapy different now? Yes. Um, so when everything happened in March, in-person services, including um, group therapy in the center or even in the community, uh, it, it just ceased to exist. Mm -hmm. There's no more in-person services at that time. We started to provide in-person or center-based services in August after we put many um, safety procedures in, in, in place. Um, but it was devastating to the men who were look forward to coming and seeing, you know, their friends, their peers during, you know, group sessions. It was devastating for the parents who look forward to the benefits that they saw when when the clients came to our center base um and by the way we have two offices as you know one is in um, san gabriel and one is in el monte um el monte is particularly a city that has been heavily impacted um by COVID. so we we need to make sure that we have all um safety precautions in place so that you know we can provide services but everybody is not at any greater risk of exposure than un un unfortunately we would be just by living in this era but so that that was definitely hard for all of us yeah i can just imagine that uh, let's go back to the emotional impact on the kids for just a moment can they recover from this sort of thing and if so you know what are the key things that parents have to know you know to best deal with their children under these kind of unheard of circumstances and we would have never thought about this you know prior to nine months ago the way I would like to start um, off my answer by saying that in my mind, and I think a lot of colleagues' minds that I've, uh, colleagues I've spoken to, what they've shared is that this could be equated to 9-11, okay? Mm -hmm. In the sense that, yes, we can recover, but life has changed as we know it. Um, there's good that can come out of it. There's things that we can do better or even um, refocus and repri reprioritize and all of that those good things but yes life has been changed um and it has been changed also for neurotypical children and adults but you know there are some things that parents can do and i think the big thing that parents need to realize is that they really do set the tone for how their children will react and and respond and i, I get that with you know children with disabilities it's more complex. It's not like a one-to-one -one correspondence. There's other factors that are involved. Um, but in general, you know, they can definitely have a great impact by setting the tone, um, whether it be watching the news and having real like emotive responses that can maybe um, produce fear maybe, or a more calm way to try to process what's going on. And children interpret and react what's happening based uh, largely, especially if they're younger, based on the parents or the family's perspective. And it's important to be honest, especially with our kids that, again, 
either neurotypical or our children with disabilities, autism that are higher functioning. They really are understanding and, and, and getting it. And um, we want to reassure them, but be honest, not try to say nice things because we don't want them to fear or panic, but in reality, they're going to get that message from the rest of the world. So it's important to just stay focused, take it step by step, um, you know, put your own um, religious or, 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 you know, values into how you explain it to your children. But I, in a nutshell, honest, real, focused, and, and just take it one day at a time. I think that really tends to, to help. Yeah. The other thing that I would say to that, um, though, that the challenge that a lot of us face, myself included, is that we still need to be a parent in the sense that we still need to protect our kids. Mm -hmm. And it's okay to say no. No, you can't go to your group of five, ten friends because you've asked me the ten, tenth time. No, you cannot have a play date, you know, at, at, at home or maybe even big family gatherings. And yes, there's going to be wild tantrums, you know, for some of the younger kids or kids with disabilities or great disappointment. And even as a parent feeling like, gosh, I, I don't know how much my kid likes me this moment, but that's okay because that's part of being a parent and protecting them and doing what's right for them, even if they don't quite appreciate it at that moment. Yeah. Well, being a parent, they're, they're dealing with a lot of things, not only dealing with their kids, but as you mentioned before, some of them worry about where they're going to get their next meal. Uh, so a lot of people lost their jobs. Uh, a lot mm -hmm. of people went from full-time to part-time. Um, you know, a lot of that was going on and, and kids and kids pick up on that sort of thing. You know, they, the, when, when their parents are nervous, when their parents are scared, um, when they hear their parents talking on the mm -hmm. phone to their friends or their family and, and, and talking about, you know, all these worries and so forth, um, kids kids always amaze me how much they understand and what what is what is happening even kids with disabilities i mean i think i think you made a great point in saying that you know they they get it um and i think parents just need to be you know aware of that i think obviously i'm not the expert on that you are but um i think you made some some great some great points there um so let's talk now about um you know we talked about in march and so forth when this all first started now just a couple of months in, summer comes and the kids are officially out of school. They can't see their friends, and you touched on this a little bit. All of a sudden, they're isolated at home. Um, they can't see their friends. They can't see their teachers. Their normal routine's gone. It's you know, time goes on, and it's more and more difficult. I'm sure. Um, tell us more about how, as the longer period of time went on and on and on, you know, what did you? How did you see this? What did you see, and how did you help from this perspective? So things got worse before they got better. <laughs> it yeah. was um, unplanned in some ways, personally and emotionally catastrophic for everybody, including the parents, let alone the children. Um, so it was definitely panic. Um, and, and then again, you throw in some of the other factors like now, you know, some of the parents need to use with use technology. They don't understand it. They may not, uh, you know, know English. So they're relying on some of the older children, if there's any, to hopefully help them. Um, it was tremendously helpful that my staff speaks the language of our clients, so they were able to help them in that in that regard, and and you know go step by step. But I I will say that the wonderful thing about humanity is that the, there's great resiliency. I think we are all resilient and more capable than we think when. A crisis hits us and I think we all need to give ourselves permission to just be human yes if you need to panic or be afraid of course but at some point put perspective how do we move forward and and by and far parents did that and I have to say that our monolingual Spanish-speaking parents amazed us the things that they were able to do and and by us helping them and really that they learned how to use the web-based technology, they're now able to support some of their children through school, mm -hmm. you know, as they're having to having to Zoom. But we also had to be creative and, and willing to try new things. We did roundtables that were, you know, small groups of, of parents joined and we talked about things as fear and, and what's going on and how are you dealing, how are you dealing with some of those behaviors that are coming up? What might you know, face-to-face -face, um, services look like or in-person services 
kids look like and the fears that came up in the earlier stage with even bringing that up. Um, we also developed like fun interactive activities where our staff was amazing. I, I, I really, I, I, everything, I credit everything to them. They came up with like zoo tours where we were virtually doing like a zoo or some type of, um, you know, outing, if you will, but they were practicing, focusing, sitting, you know, responding, social behavior. So there's all these wonderful things that, that were done that came out. Um, but the thing is that everybody was getting comfortable. And in some ways, I think appreciating, maybe some parents might say that they preferred it in a sense, but now there's again, the unpredictability, but I, I believe in the, the, the resiliency and um, the things that our parents do out of love for their children is amazing. So um, it, it ended up being good, but let's see what happens in this next stage. You know, we'll take it one step at a time again. Right, right. Well, I, I bet that was fun for the kids though, when you were able to do the zoo tours and that sort of thing. I, I bet that was you know, a big relief, you know, after having, you know, nothing fun to do, nothing to look forward to. And, and uh, I applaud your staff for coming up with some of those creative uh, ideas. I've heard some great things, some great stories about teachers and therapists and people like that, that have, you know, really gone out of the, well out of their way to, you know, find it, find ways to make it interesting for these kids and, and uh, for the older kids and for the, for the adults and so forth that you're, that you're serving. And, and I think it's just great. Another example, Dorothy, um, staff, actually um, proposed doing yoga classes. And I know that sounds very fun. You know, it sounds a little bit weird. Like it doesn't sound like ABA services, but where a lot of the planning and, and really value in taking different um, stakeholders um, opinions into perspective came is that we were able to devise these classes where yes, the kids were excited. They're doing, you know, um, yoga and, and, and the parents, by the way, um, are part of it, but we're looking at, attending skills, sitting behavior, following instructions, you know, eye contact, all these things that really are part of their ABA services and goals were addressed during these fun um, sessions. So that was the good part about everything that happened that we you really had to be creative. And it, I, I think most really all of the families that we've talked to so far really have enjoyed that aspect of our services. What a great idea. <laughs> that is really a good idea. I love hearing stories like this. I really do. Uh, let's, let's, you know, turn lemons into lemonade type of thing. I, I love to hear those types of examples. Uh, so fall finally arrives. Uh, LA County is still locked down. Uh, it's all remote learning now. So what is it that you do? What's possible for you to do with these kids? Uh, tell us how you worked with them, the additional challenge. We've already talked about this, but talk more about the therapy side of it, um, the challenges that the teachers and the therapists faced at that time, and the challenges that the parents faced. So unfortunately, fall came, but it's been this way for a while. Mm -hmm. So the good part of it is that we've definitely seen what works, some of the things that work. And, 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 and some of what does not, quite frankly. So we continue to fine tune what we do with input from our families, the families you know that we serve and, um, and also our staff because our staff are not only providers, but they're also um, parents, many, many of them. Mm -hmm. um, so we continue to you know do work in that area. Um, Again, grit and resilience is so important. Um, and I, we have seen this loud and clear throughout this entire session once we all got over the, the, the big surprise, the big, you know, not knowing this was coming. But, you know, I, I do want to talk a little bit about the teachers. Um, we do not work in the school setting, but, you know, our staff is also teacher, our teachers in the home, but the teachers from schools, I think they are also the unsung heroes. It has been very difficult for them. And um, my husband mentioned that there was some data given to him where it, it's, you know, it seems that about 30% of teachers are considering getting out of the profession because of everything that's happening and it's difficult. Um, they walk away, as my husband tells me, a millionaire each time they see a child and interact with them personally. And now that's removed and there's a lot of contingencies and a lot of unknown. So that's been very difficult 
Um, but in our case, we're still able to have some level of face-to-face -face, or we were in-person connection, but that might be changing again. Right. Well, obviously, California has gone back into yet another stay-at-home situation. So we'll we'll see. Hopefully, this won't go on for too long past the uh, past the new year. Let's 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 hope. Um, tell us about your safety protocols. You mentioned them at the beginning, but I want to come back to that because I think it's really important. What did you have to administer to get your employees back to work and to get the kids back into group therapy, uh, etc.? Walk us through it. Okay. So in March hit um and you know a week or two in and we thought okay this is real it, it's not going away in a couple of days or in a week or two what do we have to do so one of the things that we did right away is that between the, the months of march and july we invested about forty thousand dollars in protective gear and office modifications one of the things that was loud and clear was we would not be able to maintain um, the social distancing, um, if we kept our offices, particularly our San Gabriel office, the way it was. So basically all desks that were there, um, private offices are gone. They're all, um, therapy rooms to maximize the space. Um, and again, the distancing, um, that was definitely something major. We, we spent at least 350 hours of strategic planning, um, both around safety, therapy, developing in-services for staff, how things would be looking different, how, how they would also still work towards meeting the client's treatment, you know, goals. Like that cannot, that has not been removed. We just have to be creative and the onus is on us to still be effective. Um, we also hired staff cleaning staff, two full-time staff, disinfectant company, all that, all those good things, you know, were in place before we even considered reopening. We do follow the CDC guidelines, such as temperature checking and contact tracing. Um, the flow of traffic is very different. Um, we basically meet our, the parent with the child before coming into the office or they bring them, you know, right outside the temperature's taken. There's one in and out you know, flow to minimize, you know, crossing paths. Mm -hmm. And so there, there was a lot that went into the planning. Um, and I think what was my driving force, because when you, you're, anybody's business is down, it, it, it can be scary. This is yeah. usually not the time to be investing in, in a lot of anything. Right. But the way I saw it, what, if this were my child coming into the center if I were that staff person who's then going to my home and maybe have, um, you know, I have an elderly parent or a medically fragile, what would I want to be done for me? And that's always really kind of been my guiding mm -hmm. um, principle. And so we really were able to do a lot of wonderful things. I was the least part of the change. The credit is to my staff and they worked their little hearts, you know, out and, and we were able to do some really neat things before we decided to reopen. Yeah, I can certainly understand the kind of changes that you had to go through and, and you know, moving your offices around and doing all those types of things. We're, you know, we're in the employee benefits business. We're a health insurance agency and, a, and HIPAA and privacy and security consultants. But I know I invested a lot of money in that stuff, too. I immediately went out and bought all kinds of PPE myself because there, I knew there was going to be a time when people were going to want to have us come back out, you know, into the field and do things and have open enrollment meetings and, and do some consulting and do those types of things. Yes, we did a lot of it online, but I totally get what you're, what you're saying. I went out and bought, you, I think you probably remember uh, when I notified everybody this, we went out and bought two 30 foot by 10 foot um, you know event tents so that we could have mm -hmm. meetings outside um, we bought all the PPE all the gear we bought plexiglass you know for all of the table sneeze guards so that when we did go out to a meeting open enrollment meeting or something like that that we literally brought sneeze guards and put them on the tables we'd set the tables up you know <laughs> we put our sneeze guards up so and I think it was good for for both sides because we felt like we were being safer and the people coming to see us felt like you know we were taking all the steps that we could potentially take, you know, to keep them safe as well. So I, and we're all doing this. And so I, I totally mm -hmm. get it. Um, spending the extra money, I think it was, it was well worth it. You're right. You know, everybody's worried about budgets at that time, but 
how can you not? I looked at it like that. How can I not? You know, we're going to have to eventually, Absolutely. we're going to have to help our clients and you had to do the same thing. So yeah. Dorothy, and, and the other thing that we had in mind is how can we make this as friendly as possible to mm -hmm. our, mm -hmm. to, you know, for the children that we serve. And yes, you know, I think all of us are getting used to a little bit more what, you know, how people look with a mask or, you know, one of the face shields, but we, we really invested in getting aprons for our staff that look like a teacher type apron or like an arts and craft with little pockets, our logo, you know, we really, those are cute. Those way. are really cute. Yeah. I saw those are really cute. I like those. Yeah. So that was important. You know, how do we also do it in a way that it's not intimidating and scary for these children to come all of, back to a, a place that they were coming before that looks different and and now it's really intimidating so yeah, yeah. And, and isn't it funny how you miss looking at someone's smile i mean that's the one thing i yes. hate about masks is before you could look at someone in their face and you could see the you could see their eyes light up and you could see this bright smile on their faces especially when working with kids and kids with and people with disabilities like you are that's i would guess that's a really important thing and and all of a sudden now you have a mask on and um, yes you can still see the eyes but you lose that ability. And what about, you know, obviously this isn't your line of work, but um, what about if you're dealing with kids that are, you know, that have, you know, they can't, they can't speak. Um, you know, they have to use sign language, but before they would read your lips, now they have to 100% use sign language. You know, think about all those things that a mask covers, you know what I mean? Well, you know what they're doing now, which is interesting. I think that the innovation and the creativity that comes out of, you know, these crises is amazing. Something that was developed, I, I understand it might've been a parent that initially did it, but I don't know that to be a fact, but what was developed is a, a mask that have a cutoff in the lip area and then that's replaced by like a see-through i don't know if it's part of like the plexi not plexiglass but you know the see-through film mm -hmm. i'm not sure about that but you can still see the lips um and but yet they're protected so it's amazing what comes out of this though yeah people do get very very creative so this has obviously been dragging on for several months and now yes. we have another set of statewide safer at home, you know, orders and so forth. And, and the announcement of even more uh, lockdowns, not only in L.A. County, but here in Orange County, we're feeling the same as you are now, which I'm not liking it so much. So, um, you know, this is going on for a good a good amount of time now. Um, so the longer we talked about this earlier, but I want to come back to it because it's so important. Does this bring on, you know, with this recent announcement of the governor, does this bring on more fear, more insecurity? Um, do they even understand it at this point? I mean, we're entering 2021 with a, still a lot of unknowns. So I think that the continued, um, you know, the fact that the pandemic continues um, is definitely catching up to a lot of people. And I, 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 I'll be, you know, um, I'll be vulnerable and say myself included in the sense that I'm usually a very practical person. Of course, like everybody else, you know, I go through all the feelings, but usually it's like, okay, what do I need to do? This is what I need to do today. This is what I need to do this week. But a lot of us were really looking forward to the fact that even if it wasn't for, for you know, the holiday, you know, um, winter season, but that there was, you know, an end in sight. Mm -hmm. And I think to hold that carrot out even further again, when it was getting closer, can definitely um, get to you. But I think you just refocus. And I think that's the one thing that I, I, I will say, that continuing to be in this situation, or even having been in, you know, in the middle of the pandemic, um, has a way of focusing us. Yeah. What is important? Where are our priorities? You know, safety. Mm -hmm. and, and even in safety, like I, I, you know, I'm of Mexican descent, you know, I'm Latina. So usually my um, Christmas gatherings would mean at least 25 people. Yeah. And that's just my mom, my dad, my siblings and, and their daughters um, and, and sons, right? Well, the fact that now we're only four, um, you know, safety comes first, family is important, but you want to be safe and also keep them safe. Um, making sure that you stay focused on what you can do and what's what's within your control to do. Mm -hmm. um, and also I can tell you, Dorothy, that with my kids, I have to acknowledge, you, you know, their emotions and fears and put them skills to, to address them or, or to reason and work through them. I, 
for me to tell my son when he, well, mom, what about this? And, you know, for me to, oh, it's okay. It's going to go away. You know what? It doesn't help. It only really kind of raises, you know, it really just raises the anxiety. So I think there's definitely a need as this continues. And right now we don't know where the end might be to continue to process, to continue to talk, to acknowledge, to develop new family routines. I'll tell you that some of the things that my kids are now doing, they were doing it before, but now more regularly, they're cooking. There's a day where one of them does the dinner for the family, chores are more regular. And all of that are routines that keep the normalcy. Yeah. So that's going to be very important that we continue to do that um, until, you know, we get through this. Yeah. And let's hope it ends sometime in 2021. <laughs> let's, hope, yes. let's hope we can't have yes. another, we can't have another couple of years like 2020. That's for sure. So does it talk about vaccines in the near future? Does that help? It helps. <laughs> it helps to hear the word, mm -hmm. but not that we know a lot about it right now. For one thing, we are not the first Western country to get it, mm -hmm. right? right? And then there's always talks that we passed up, you know, a certain amount um, that was offered by some of the companies. So that doesn't help to hear that, but it helps. I, I do believe that, you know, this will someday be like the MMR or the polio vaccine, mm -hmm. you know, um, certainly if there's anybody that has the capability of doing it, I think the U.S. does. And I think we've shown that in the past. Um, but, you know, it helps to hear it. Um, it would be nice to start seeing it rolled out like we've been seeing that in the U.K. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I believe it's going to happen. I, I always worry about families and um, that are underrepresented. Because um, I don't believe if my if history and my experience um, says anything, they will likely not be the first Correct, yeah. to, to get it. I you get know, it, yeah. if they have medical insurance, if they have easy access or even with the ACA, which has been definitely a blessing. But, you know, definitely someone that has a private insurance may get it quicker and sooner. So there's always those things. But, yes, it's hope. And it's, it's, it's definitely a step in the right direction. Yeah. And I, and I agree. Hope is a good thing. <laughs> we, we need mm -hmm. that for sure. So what's the most important thing that you'd like to say to parents dealing with this? What advice, if any, can you give them right now? The best advice is the advice I give myself as a parent, quite frankly. And, and that is that our kids do as we do, not as we say. Yeah. So we can tell them all these things wonderful things and sometimes especially if they're younger we feel like we want to save them or spare them from you know reality sometimes because it's so negative and it makes even us nervous um but the fact is our kids know a lot more especially with social media they're on their phones they're communicating you know with different um people sometimes not even within their immediate within their community even you know it really can be anywhere so they 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 have access to the information and just to really model some of the adaptive behaviors. Like I know for me, when I feel like, oh my goodness, this has been a stressful day. And then I happen to put the TV on when I'm cooking because that's usually maybe when I will have time to listen to a little bit of TV. And you hear all these negative things, whether it be COVID or shootings or whatever it might right, be. Right. Um, I think to myself, I tell them, you know, that's kind of a negative. I didn't really need that right now. I'm going to turn it off and put this type of music. Or how about if we go for a walk instead, because I think I need to walk that off. Yeah. So I think that helps. Um, and just be honest, express your feelings and model the way that they can respond to things in a better or more adaptive way. I think that would be really at the heart of what I feel we have to do as parents. Yeah. Because we can't take this away mm -hmm. and we can't protect them from hearing, um, you know, hearing about what's out there. Yeah. I think that's really great advice. So lastly, if any of our listeners want to reach out to you, if they want to ask you some questions or learn more about your services, how can they reach you? Yeah. I would love for the listeners to learn more about our services and what we do. Um, so Familias first, I mentioned that that is one of the agencies, um, you know, that I, created and our website is www.familiasfirst.com and that's F as in Frank, A-M-I-L-I-A-S as in Sam, 
first spelled out, first.com or cbceducation.net. So, um, you know, please feel free. And there's all, there's different links on how to get in contact with us and how to ask questions. That would be the most direct um, and easiest way, I think, to find out more about us and communicate with us. Well, thank you very much. I really appreciate all your caring and your insight on this. This is a very difficult situation for everyone, for the parents, for the teachers, for people like you, the therapists and so forth. Thanks so much for all that you do and for your organizations, for, for everything that you do for these kids and, and, and these adults that are dealing with this. Um, thank you so much for being here. Dorothy, if I could just take a second to thank you, because there's something that I know about you and, and your and your company, whatever you do, whether it be looking at insurance plans or like HIPAA compliance, you're always keeping, um, if you will, the receiver or the recipient of that benefit in mind, whether it be the family, the employee whose information is being kept confidential. And quite frankly, you know, other than you care, there was no reason to do this type of podcast. So I think that says a lot about you, about your company. And we certainly are very appreciative. I'm very grateful that you thought of including me and, but even also grateful, you know, with the partnership that we've enjoyed these years with you and your company. Well, thank you so much. That's so sweet of you to say, I really appreciate that. Keith, you're going to make me cry. <laughs> <Don't do that. laughs> I mean it wholeheartedly, though. That I, I, it says a lot. Thank yeah. you. I appreciate that. See, I'm supposed to be the tough one. I'm always a tough one. You know, I can't, I can't do that. That's can't what get they think. <laughs> Everybody thinks I'm the tough one, even the we family. Do. But, <laughs> like, they know. <laughs> they don't know that we're softies at heart. We just yeah. put on that business, that business front, right? <laughs> right. Well, thanks. Right. Thanks so much, Ruth. I really appreciate it. And to everybody out there, please stay safe and stay healthy. Thanks, everyone, and have a great 2021. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned for compliance tips, cost containment ideas, new trends, and decision-making tools. This podcast is produced by Advanced Benefit Consulting, Anaheim, California. All views expressed are those of the host or interviewees and not necessarily those of Advanced Benefit Consulting. Information contained herein should not be construed as legal advice. We always recommend that you consult with your legal counsel as situations do vary. Ms. Koshu can be reached at 714-693-9754, extension 3. Toll free at 866-658-3835. Or visit our website at advancedbenefitconsulting.com.